0: It is my pleasure to announce, to welcome our guest speaker, Todd Aaron, to the stage. Where are you, Todd? Here he is. Come on up, brother. Um, Todd is a a graduate of Northeastern State University and a former campus minister at Tulsa University. He has a master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, his doctorate from Gordon-Conwell, He's the founder and the international director of uh, the Traveling Team, which is uh, an organization that focuses on uh, mobilizing people for missions. Todd's lived in the Middle East, he's been to many countries, and I mentioned this at the first service, but I'll tell you, um, as a side note, in the first service, Todd set the record as the RBC Sunday speaker with the longest hair. <laughs> so, this here hey, uh, he's going to challenge us, stretch us. Todd's written a couple few books. He's selling these out in the table in the lobby if if you're impacted by uh, what he has to share. Uh, This is a little deeper dive, so I encourage you to head on out to his table. So let's give him another quick welcome.
1: Good morning. I appreciate you guys being here. And uh, when I became a Christ follower, I thought, what is it that you do? And so if I felt bad, I read Psalms. If I felt really bad, I read Job. But for the most part, I was just reading the Bible asking the question of where am I? And then a friend of mine invited me to a Bible study. And I thought, well, man, that sounds like the Christian thing to do. So I said, yes, I get to Bible study and he lays out this map of the world. And he says, pick a country and pray for it. And I start to freak out. I'm like, I've never prayed out loud for missions. So I said, I'll pray for America. He's like, pray for somewhere further away. I said, Canada. He said, no, 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 pick somewhere really far away. So I looked down in the center of the map and the largest country that caught my attention was Saudi Arabia. So I began to pray for Saudi Arabia. After the prayer, he said, come back next week and tell me how many Muslims, how many mosques, how many Christians and how many churches are in Saudi Arabia. I start to research this incredible country. I begin buying books about the Muslim faith and how to share the gospel with Muslims. I was at Starbucks and met someone from Saudi. I'm like, you're real. This is weird. You're not just a map. Oh my goodness. I took a short-term trip to the Middle East. And um, over the course of about 12 months, I realized that my small, me-centered, self-absorbed, high-maintenance life purpose began to shift to God's global, eternal, and unfulfilled purpose. I saw my life purpose begin to shift to God's global, eternal, and unfulfilled purpose. And, and if you miss the mission of God, if you miss the purpose of God, you miss how to live, you miss how to give, and you miss how to raise your kids. If you miss the purpose of God, you miss how to live, you miss how to give, and you miss how to raise your kids. And the world has one goal. They want, the world wants to drown out the true purpose of God. Oh, that world, it wants you to just check and caress and love your savings. Oh, that world, it wants you to keep your kids close. Oh, that world, it wants it to be all about you. And yet God invites us in to his global purpose. What is his purpose? Simply put, his purpose is this. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. And you're gonna see that From the beginning of scripture to the conclusion, God blesses his people. How does he bless us? Oh, the greatest blessing of all, salvation. He blesses his people to reach, God blesses his people, God blesses his people to, God blesses his people to reach all peoples. And you're just gonna see that over and over and over again. If you had no knowledge of the Bible and picked one up, the first 11 chapters is just the introduction. It's just the introduction. It's the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. You get to chapter 11, and that's the end of the introduction. And you know it's the end of the introduction because there's incredible tension. Okay, the end of every introduction, you're going to have tension. What is the tension of the end of the introduction in Genesis 11? Let's read Genesis eleven one 1 through 4, and listen to the tension. Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Now, the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As of this point on the planet, there was only one language. No matter where you went, people only spoke English. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city. God's told them to fill the earth. He's told them that in Genesis 1, Genesis 9. But look what happens. Look at what happens. Come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So the Lord comes down at the end of the introduction in Genesis 11, and he touches their tongues and he scatters them into 70 different languages. 70 languages are created in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Listen to what it says. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Genesis 11 is where we get all the languages on the planet. Every language flows from here, French, French. Mandarin, Spanish, rap. It all comes from right here in Genesis chapter 11. Today, there's 6,912 languages. It's imagine reaching one language and now we have to reach 6,000 languages. How is God going to solve this problem? How is he going to regather all these nations under his glory? If you had no knowledge of the Bible and you get to Genesis 11, you feel tension. What's going to happen? How is he going to regather them? And all you have to do to solve the tension, turn the page. Genesis 12. Of all the nations, the Lord picks one man, will bless that man so that he would be a blessing to all nations. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to land. I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curse you, I will curse. God blesses his people to reach all peoples through you, Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Get used to hearing God say this. He's only going to repeat this 1,200 more times. Literally. I was a Christ follower for 10 years before I realized the importance of Genesis 12. I had no idea the importance of Genesis 12 for the first decade of my spirituality. The leading scholar of all of Christians in Europe, before he died, John Stott, was asked this question. What's the most important passage in all the Bible? He said, that's easy. Genesis 12, one through three. The whole of God's purpose is encapsulated there. And he's right. The rest of scripture is Genesis 12 on repeat. The rest of scripture is Genesis 12 on repeat. It goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to Jesus to the early church to us. But our mission begins in Genesis 12. The mission of God begins in Genesis 12. That's why I call this the Abrahamic revolution. What began with Abraham is ours to complete. We have the incredible privilege of participating. God's going to repeat this three times to Abraham, once to Abraham's son, Isaac, and once to Isaac's son, Jacob. The first time he says it is Genesis 12. And look at Abraham's response in verse four. He left as the Lord told him. Then Genesis 18, the second time he repeats it to to Abraham. Abraham, you're gonna become a great and mighty nation and all nations on earth are gonna be blessed. Third time to Abraham, Genesis 22. And your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Three times to Abraham, once to Isaac, Genesis 26. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth. God blesses his people to to reach all peoples. God blesses his peoples to reach all peoples. And then one time to Isaac and one time to Jacob. Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. They will spread out to the west, the east, the north, the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I, I live in Arkansas. That's the place you stop on your way to Texas and fill up with gas. Okay, that's my state that's my state. And man, behind our house, we've got like three acres of forest. And my kids are always taking our nice spoons and going back there and digging. And like they come back. The, normally they run in with like old Coke bottles and dead bugs, but we got them a metal detector for Christmas. So it's like game on. My daughter, she comes running in, dad, dad, I just found an ancient Indian arrowhead. I'm like, what? She's like, I just found it. I'm like, what? She's like, I just found an ancient Indian. I'm like, let me see it. I'm like, wow, sis, that is, that is, that is an ancient Indian arrowhead. Wow, you found it. She's like, I gotta clean it. So she puts her feet in the sink. She clogs the sink. She turns on the hot water. She grabs the Clorox, the magic eraser, her brother's toothbrush. And she starts scrubbing this thing, okay? She's scrubbing this thing. I, meanwhile, I'm in the kitchen serving my wife, I don't know, like cleaning or something. And, and all of a sudden, after a half hour, I hear this. Are you kidding me? I look over sis, what's the matter? This isn't an ancient Indian arrowhead. This is a rock. (laughs) I spent a half hour polishing a rock. I said, oh my goodness, homeschool moment right here. I went over to her feet in the sink. And I said this, I said, Camden, the world offers you a rock to polish. God gives you a purpose to pursue. The world offers us a rock to polish. My daughter spent 30 minutes and realized she was polishing a rock. Some of us spend 30 years trying to polish a perfect portfolio or resume or a savings account only to realize the world has fooled us. It's got our eyes off of God's purpose and we're consumed with our own. Why does God give you influence and affluence? Think of the area in the world that you live and how central This is. Why does God put you here? Is it just to pad your resume or to get another comma in your savings account? No. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. Over and over again. It's just Genesis 12 on repeat. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, what does he say to Pharaoh? He says this in Exodus. I have raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power. That my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He wanted Israel out of Egypt, but he wanted the world to see. Why does God give Solomon wisdom? The queen of Sheba travels like 1,200 miles from Yemen to Jerusalem to sit under the feet of Solomon. Because she hears about his wisdom. What does he say? He says it over and over in Proverbs, the book he wrote, fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. First Kings, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Why did God bless Solomon? God blesses his people to reach all peoples. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. All the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon over and over and over. Psalms, 175 times in the book of Psalms, God will repeat Genesis 12, 175. Psalm 67, seven verses long, 13 times. You're gonna hear it. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And as a white wealthy Westerner, I stop there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, highlighter, 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 highlight it, double star, commit it to memory. But I never ask why. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples justly. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all peoples praise you. Why do you bless us, Lord? Is it for me? No. You think it is. The world tells you it is and you act like it is. But it's not. God will bless us that the ends of the earth will fear him. I, I haven't seen one here. I've only been in this area for a few days. I haven't really ventured out, so I haven't seen one. But in Arkansas, we have these huge Christian stores. They're called Hobby Lobby. And I feel like when I go there, it's like a tithe, you know? Um, So I'm walking around Hobby Lobby with my kiddos and I come across the frame section, which they're always half off. I come across the frame section and I see, I see my favorite Old Testament verse on a picture. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I take out my my phone and I take a picture of the picture. Can you even get there mentally? Like I took a picture of the picture. I text the picture of the picture to my wife. She's like, you gotta buy the picture. I'm like, I know I'm buying the picture. It had my favorite Old Testament verse. It had, it had a deer, a stream, it had a tackle box, it had a fisherman, it had the sun rising. And in 96 font, gold calligraphy, italics, it said, be still and know that I am God, dot, dot, dot. And I was like. And then I just kind of thought, wait a second. Dot, dot, dot. That means there's more to the verse. I've never even heard the second half. I thought the first half was all there was. That's what makes the tea towels in the journal. I thought it was just be still and know that I am God. I had no idea there was a second half. Then I start to think, man, how bad is the second half that it's never made the picture? I mean, what's it say? Be still and know that I am God and Judas found a rope and hung himself. I mean, how bad is the second half that you never hear it. So I pull out my, my app, I, my Bible app, and I go to Psalm 4610, because I'm like, how bad is that? I want to read the, how bad is this? Oh my goodness. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. That's the whole verse but as a person who wants the influence and affluence to revolve around me, as a person who wants the the blessings of salvation, but not the responsibility to take it to the nations. How can I get out of the responsibility, but keep the blessing if there was only a way that I could figure out scripture to get out of my own responsibility? Dot, dot, dot. Not my problem. I have kids. I have a mortgage. I'm a big deal. I'm busy. Surely someone else will go care and help. I was for missions. It just wasn't for me. But if you wanted to do it, I valued that. But for me, that just wasn't my ministry. I'm different. I've got a small business. I've got kids. I'm, I, I'm just, I, I can't do that. Over and over again, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Genesis 12 on repeat. Jeremiah 16, oh Lord, my strength, my fortress in time of distress. To you, the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers, possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Habakkuk two fourteen. for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Zephaniah two eleven. the Lord will be, are you joking? You almost go into verse coma. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys the gods of the land, the nations on every shore worship him, everyone in their own land. Malachi, my name will be great among the nations from the rise and the setting of the sun, in every place incense and pure offering to my name. Why? Genesis twelve. Genesis twelve. I got asked to speak at the largest Christian university in Canada. Okay, 5,000 students. I was so excited. I was uh, scheduled to speak Tuesday morning chapel, Wednesday morning chapel, Thursday morning chapel, and then Beth Moore was closing on Friday morning. So I was like, this is epic, right? I show up Monday just to get acclimated, even though it's in the same time zone. And I'm walking around campus. I'm like, wow, this place is huge. Tuesday morning wakes up. I kind of have the wedding day mentality for breakfast. Not too much, not too little, just kind of some granola and kale, just something in the stomach, you know? And so I, I, I sit down with the campus minister and I was like, man, he's like, what do you think? I was like, I've been walking around this place. This is incredible. He's like, we are the largest. I'm like, I know, you, you're the largest. I'm like, where's chapel meet at? He's like, well, it meets in the basketball arena. Because it's the only place that can house all the students. I was like, wow. I was like, listen, numbers mean nothing to me, but today they do. (laughs) I said, how many students am I going to be speaking to over the next few days? He's like, well, I thought I shared in the email that missions week is the only week we make chapel optional. So we're hoping for 200 Yeah, miss, miss that one. Miss, miss, way off. Shouldn't have even ironed my shirt. So I show up to chapel and I speak to about 167 Canadian students. And when I speak on college campuses to Christian audiences, I conclude with the same challenge. And as I did there, I concluded with, I want to challenge you after you graduate to give five years of your life to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, or tribal world. And then after that, if the Lord has you come back to the marketplace, but I tell every college student, give five years and pray about a lifetime. After I'm finished speaking to the 167 students, I'm taking off my mic and all of a sudden eight Canadian college students line up. The first one comes up to me. Oh, that was so great. That was incredible. I can't go overseas. I'm engaged. Next one. Thank you so much for the challenge. I can't go overseas. I have debt. The next one. Man, we love it when Americans come and speak. Thank you so much. I can't go overseas, though. I'm getting a master's. The next one. Oh, wow. That was so good. Thank you. I can't go overseas. My parents would freak. The next one. Oh, thank you so much. I would go overseas, but I just signed a two year iPhone contract one (laughs) after another. Wednesday morning, I showed up and spoke to about 115 students. Thursday morning, I spoke to about 97 students. And on Friday, I didn't fly back to Arkansas. Instead, I flew to Salt Lake City, Utah. I was scheduled to speak at a church that Sunday. And I fly into Salt Lake City. I grab my rental. I type in Google Maps, and it says, turn right on Temple Street. And I was like, Temple Street? To where does Temple Street lead? and i realized that first and temple is the largest mormon temple in the world and so i was like i want to go i want to get a selfie in front of the largest mormon temple so i go to first and temple park the car pull get out take a selfie and to the right of the mormon temple To the right, this building caught my eye. It was three stories, all glass, and etched in glass, it said, Mormon Welcome Center. I want to (laughs) go. I want to be welcomed by Mormons in Utah. We don't even know what happens. Maybe an angel gets their wings. We have no idea what possibly could occur when welcomed by Mormons in Utah. So I walk in the Mormon welcome center. I open the door and I say, good Mormon. (laughs) Top of the Mormon to you. 12 of the nicest dressed, presumably best educated young adults came walking towards me. One girl, Rachel spun off and began to talk to me. And I was like, Rachel, how'd you get here? She's like, what do you mean? I was like, how'd you get here? She's like, well, every Mormon gives two years and prays about a lifetime. After you graduate, you go somewhere for two years on a mission trip. I was like, how'd you get here? She's like, well, the church sends you a letter on where you're commissioned to. I said, what's the letter say? She reaches in her purse and grabs the letter. She says, this is the most important thing I own. I held the letter. I read the letter. I then left the Mormon Welcome Center. I drove 45 minutes to Provo, Utah. We were scheduled to speak at Brigham Young University to a handful of Christ followers. I'm like a mile off a of campus. I'm a mile off a of campus of Provo, Utah, and I look over and I see I see a building, but the the the, the sign on the building caught my attention. The sign on the building said The Missionary Mall. I want to go. I want to go to the missionary mall. What things could a person possibly purchase at a place called the missionary mall? So I walk in the missionary mall and I really quickly realize this is the place that parents take their kids who are getting ready to go on their Mormon mission to buy everything they need for their Mormon mission. Everything you need for your Mormon mission trip, you buy at the Missionary Mall. Your suit, your tie, your bike helmet, it all comes from the Missionary Mall. And all I'm doing is looking at the faces of the fathers and the mothers. And I realize this is the happiest day of their life. I go to my car and I open my journal and I write, Mormons give two years. Christians give excuses. Mormons give two years. Christians give excuses. 99.5% of every Christian parent you know will spend three months trying to talk their son or daughter out of being a missionary if that's what God has for them. Over 99% of Christian parents will spend three months trying to talk their children out of going. The number one reason why the world is yet to be reached is Christian parents. Think about it. Are you sure? Have you prayed about this? Have you seen the needs here? Who's gonna support you? Have you even applied other places? Have you told your mom? Don't tell your mom. Have you prayed? I mean, I don't understand. You don't even wear toms. How are you even missional? This is just weird. We're not going to stand in the way of you going, but we're just saying it's not smart. It's probably not the time. Why don't you wait a decade? You should just get a job here. Start here. Do, you, do I need to put out some references for you? If you go overseas, you're going to die single, and that's going to affect me. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to be clicking my heels together when my daughter wants to go to Indonesia. But a harder day for me is going to be when she marries the wrong man, spirals downward in self-absorption, and forgets God. Here's a question that I love to ask Christian parents. What unreached people group are you asking the Lord to send your child to? What unreached people group? And what you realize is they'll point them to engineering and they'll point them to medicine, and they'll point them to education. But very few, very few Christian parents are raising their children in the thought of, I would think you're going to be a perfect missionary to the unreached. It's going to take you three years to learn the majority language, three years to learn the minority language, and then you're going to be making disciples within seven years. And that is what I think God's hand is on you. Instead, We actually think God's blessing for us is for us. When you transition to the New Testament, you see the Genesis 12 theme continue. Matthew 24, the disciples ask Jesus, what's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he basically quotes Genesis 12. He says in verse 14, when this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. What did I tell Abraham. Then the end will come. And then Jesus gives five Great Commission texts. He doesn't give one Great Commission text. That's a missions myth. He gives five. The first Great Commission text is Matthew 28. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. When you look at this Great Commission text, there's four alls just to drive the point home. The first all is all authority. If you're using your affluence and influence for yourself, you're doing it by robbery. He says he has all authority. What's the scope? Genesis 12, the second all, all nations. What are we supposed to do when we get to the nations? You want to teach them all that I've commanded. I don't feel adequate, that's okay, I'm with you always. This is the first Great Commission text, it's not the final Great Commission text, there's five. The second Great Commission text is Mark 16, 15, go and preach the gospel or good news to all creation. This is not the final Great Commission text, there's five. The third Great Commission text is Luke 24, 46 through 48. He says, it is written, you should know this, Genesis 12, He says, Christ, that's who I am, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's what he did. Repentance, that's how we should respond. Forgiveness of sins, that's the benefit of responding appropriately. Will be preached. Here's the scope, Genesis 12, to all nations. This is not the final Great Commission text. There's five. The fourth Great Commission text is John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, so send I you. What does that mean for us? Jesus says, I was in Trinity, eternity, and community when the Father invited me to put on humanity in the same way I am sending you. If you're a Christ follower, the question is not, am I sent? The question is to where? We're all sent ones. You might go across a campus, a city, or an ocean, but we're all sent ones. You might go further geographically than me, but we're all sent ones. This is not the final Great Commission text. There's five. Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why five? Because Jesus knows the world's pull in our life to self-absorption. Jesus knows that in the blessing he gives you, you and I begin to live for that blessing. He knows that. For the rest of the New Testament, all the authors of the New Testament, James, Paul, Jude, John, Peter, not one time do they ever quote any of the Great Commission text. Not one time after Acts 2 do they ever quote the Great Commission text? You don't see Peter in 1 Peter telling the church of Bethania, hey, just like Jesus said to us, go and make disciples of all nations. They never quote it. Why? Because the Great Commission didn't start with Jesus. It started with Abraham. The disciples didn't think Jesus gave the Great Commission. They thought he repeated it. And what they quote in the New Testament is not Matthew 28, Mark 16, 15, or Luke 24. They quote Genesis 12 when they wanna share the mission's emphasis of our life, they quote Genesis 12, Acts 3. And you you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said in Genesis 12, and then he quotes Genesis 12. Hebrews, when he challenges the church, he says, when God made his promise to Abraham, I will bless you and give you all these descendants. They quote Genesis 12. Paul in Galatia, he quotes Genesis 12. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the nations. He said this in Genesis 12. And then in verse 14, he redeemed us church in order that the blessings given to Abraham might make their way to all nations. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. And I think this is why Paul the apostle was like, where is no one going? And I'll volunteer. Romans 15, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. What began in Genesis 12 is fulfilled in Revelation 5, 9. From the scattering of the nations in Genesis 11 and 12 to the healing of the nations in Revelation 5. John looks up and he sees a great multitude which no one can count. And he sees them in their ethnicity. He says, I see people from every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. And Jesus has purchased them. What began in Genesis 12 will be fulfilled. The question is, are you on board? Or are you living for your small little rock that you love to polish? Oh, you love to polish that thing. I know, I know. Unfortunately, Revelation 5.9 is not the reality yet. Here's a map of the world, and predominantly the area of this world is called the 1040 window. I know you're familiar with it. 10 degrees up from the equator, 40 degrees up, and it stretches from North Africa to the Middle East to Asia. 65 countries in this box. 86% of every person who will be born, who will live, and who will die in this box will never meet a Christ follower. 86%. 86%. And God has blessed you to bless the 1040 window. And... This afternoon, you might have plans, but if you're interested in learning how your life can count for the purpose of God and reaching the unreached, right here, we're gonna have two optional sessions following this morning. And we're gonna look at how I, right here, can reach the unreached. We have five kids. And my wife was like, I really want to adopt. And I was like, okay, babeskis, I love dogs. I love dogs. Get you a shih tzu or something. You know, go you pick you one. And, and, and so she's like, no, 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 I want to adopt a, a kid. And I was like, okay, that's kind of next level. And uh, I was like, Jess, we have a basketball team. And she's like, every basketball team needs a sub. And I said, you're right. So we started the adoption process and we ended up adopting, uh, uh, getting paired with a boy in China. And so just before we flew to China, we wanted to take a family vacation. And so where does a homeschool family of five go for vacation? We go to the Ark. They found it. It's in Kentucky. They were way off looking in Sinai. And, uh, man, we go to the ark, we look around, We, ch- you know, chillax on it. And um, uh, literally the next morning, my family's upstairs in the room. I'm downstairs at the restaurant having coffee. And this waitress comes over and she's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, the ark. And they're like, oh, my goodness. We talk about China. We talk about adoption. And I'm like, yeah, we're actually on our way to Asia. And this woman, as she is refilling my coffee, she asked me a question That perplexed me. Like as she is refilling my coffee, she asked me a question I couldn't answer. She asked me a question I had not been asked before. It was such an interesting question, I asked her to repeat the question. As she's refilling my coffee, she looks at me and she says... Does he know you're coming for him? I said, Excuse me, ma'am? She says, This boy in China, does he know you're coming for him? He has no idea. He has no idea. It's been 15 months of tax forms and and FBI lists. He has no idea we spent $43,000. He has no idea he has a college fund already in his name. He has no idea he has five siblings desperately ready to love him. He has no idea he has a father. But I'm coming for him. I'm coming for him. And we talk about the second coming of Christ but half the world's never heard of the first. And when we use our affluence and influence, not for our purpose, but God's, we're literally telling the unreached, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. And so father, that's our prayer this morning is that we would be people who live for your purpose and your passion. Father, that what you are pursuing would be our pursuit. Lord, give us the ability to see the lies of this world drowning out your true purpose. And may we live for your purpose, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.